are uh, starting a new series as we head into the uh, Christmas holiday season, a series, series called Christmas Pictures. And uh, so a couple of things that kind of spark this. So I was going through some of my files on my computer. You ever done this before? Like your computer starts to tell you, you got too much junk on here. You need to clean some of it off. Okay. So um, I started going through my files on my computer and I came across a big, large chunk of files that were taking up a very large uh, chunk of space and it was all pictures and so I was just going through picture after picture. You ever done that? Some, for most of us you probably remember when you used to have boxes of pictures and you'd find them and you'd go through them. Now they're all on your computer or your phone and, uh, and so I was just going back through some of my pictures and uh, I could show you a whole bunch of them but this one was one that stuck out to me as one of my favorites. I don't know how clear this is to you. <laughs> Cruz was like a year and a half, so, or, yeah, almost two years. Um, and then Maylee would have been, what, almost eight. Is that right? Yeah, I think. Um, so I asked Maylee if she could, if I could show this, and she said, yeah, I look great. Uh, and then <laughs> Cruz, she, I didn't ask her if I could share that part, but I did anyways. Cruz, I don't know, I'm sorry, the, the photo is a little bit uh, fuzzy, but Cruz was, um, not a big fan of anything that was not expressly human in nature. So um, any kind of mascots or anything like that. Oh, you just in time, buddy. You came back just in time. Um, but uh, I, I just, I love this picture and uh, obviously a Christmas picture. Um, but I, as I was going through, Matt, you flipped through it. But as I was going through all of uh, my, my photos and Certainly seeing all the Christmas pictures, I, uh, I got to thinking about how, how many pictures we tend to take around the Christmas holidays. And I was kind of measuring, and, and we have a lot of different pictures from a lot of different times, but uh, we have as many or more pictures from Christmas as any other time of the year. Uh, in fact, not only do we probably take more pictures at Christmas time than any, of, uh, any other time of the year, but we even feel compelled to send our pictures out to a whole bunch of other people during this time of year, right? Uh, some that we barely know. Some of you even take the time to not only send pictures out, but how many of you have ever sent Christmas letters out telling all about your family and all the things that are going on? And so we, we, just, we think of this time as a time of taking pictures and letting people know, and we're all tempted to embellish a little bit because we all want everyone to think that it's better than it is. There's just something about Christmas that wants us or we, that we want to give the perfect picture, that, that, we, that we want to portray the perfect picture of our life and our family. Of course, as many of us know all too well, Christmas, just like life, is never picture perfect, isn't it? It never goes according to plan. And this year, when you set up all the stuff that you've got going on, there's going to be something that goes wrong. If you're not prepared for that, then good luck. Because uh, something is going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. Not everything is going to be picture perfect. Even that first Christmas, I'm sure those involved didn't view everything as being picture perfect. But the story of the first Christmas does provide, a, provide us with some perfect pictures. And we're going to look at those pictures, at least three of them, over the next couple of weeks, and including Christmas. And here's the overarching takeaway from this series, and it's this. The true picture of Christmas reframes how we picture everything. Christmas and the story of that first Christmas reframes how we picture everything. The reality of God coming into our world as human 
flesh as a little baby reframes and reshapes, or at least it ought to reframe and reshape how we see and picture everything else in our lives and in the world around us. And that includes how we look at wisdom, which is what we're going to talk about today. Very appropriate that we sing the wise man and the foolish man this morning. Because Christmas asks the question, who really is the true wise man or woman? Because when you think about it, Christmas, that first Christmas story, there's a lot of stuff in that story from the world's perspective that doesn't seem very wise. Why would God do this? Why would God do that? Why would it be this way? It doesn't seem very wise. And yet the truth is, true wisdom often appears foolish by the world's thinking. Godly wisdom, true wisdom, often appears foolish by the world's thinking. And just think about in your own life, even from a practical perspective, the older you've gotten, the wiser you've gotten, hopefully. Just think about how, I'm guessing there are some people that you once thought were wise, that you now probably view as not so wise and quite foolish. And vice versa, there are some people that you thought were quite foolish, and now you probably consider them to be much wiser than they first appeared. It makes me think of the, uh, reminds me of the quote by Mark Twain. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> Sometimes that's true of us, right? Especially when it comes to our parents. You see, we've read the Christmas story, and we, 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 we are so familiar, I think, with so many of its details that we don't realize how, how many things are just truly crazy from the world's perspective. I mean, think about how every main character in the story was considered foolish by those around him. You take Mary. Can you imagine Mary, this teenager, trying to explain to her family and friends how she's still a virgin and yet she's pregnant? Or take Joseph. You don't think everybody in his life that knew what had happened with Mary is telling her this is not a wise decision to marry this girl. Not wise. Not wise at all. Or take the shepherds. In that day, shepherds were not held in very high esteem, especially by the religious leaders of that day. In fact, shepherds were often not allowed to even testify in court because they were thought to be untrustworthy. I mean, wouldn't it make more sense to have the announcement of the birth of the Messiah come through a religious leader, or a priest, or someone with at least a little bit more influence and clout, and yet it was these shepherds to whom God revealed the news of the birth of his son. Then what about the wise men, as we call them? We call them that, but here's a bunch of guys who are going on a trip that's going to cost them a huge chunk of their life, going to talk, cost a tremendous amount of money. They're going to a place that likely would have looked down upon them for their ethnicity and for their profession, and to find what? To find and worship a baby? I don't think they are, would have been considered very wise by the standards of their day or perhaps any day. But what the Bible is doing is telling you this grand story that challenges the wisdom of this world and, re and calls us to reframe how we picture wisdom. That what seems so wise right now in our world will actually prove to be quite foolish. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 18 and 19. He says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, which, by the way, isn't that the goal for so many of us? To be wise? If you think you're wise 
by this world's standards, you need to actually become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And perhaps there's no place where this idea is more on display than in the Christmas story. And the picture of God Almighty coming in the flesh gives us a whole new way to reframe what true wisdom is. For example, it shows us that true wisdom understands that anything is possible with God. Anything is possible with God. Now, conventional wisdom would tell you that the Christmas story is just make-believe, it's foolishness, not unlike some of the other elements that are associated and surrounding this, this holiday that we celebrate, because conventional wisdom mocks the credibility of the supernatural. Angelic visits, virgin births, moving stars. You see, the enlightened in our day and age say those kinds of stories and and those kinds of miracles, those are for for children and for fools. But as you've heard me say before, no matter what your worldview is, every worldview has some faith system. I don't care what you believe, everybody has some sort of faith system. If you believe that this world was you know, something came out of nothing, you believe that chaos came out of, or order came out of chaos all by itself, you have a a faith system. You have a belief system. No matter what you believe, everybody has some sort of faith system. My faith system chooses to believe that we, in this world that we live in, was the creation of an all-powerful creator, God. And if an all-powerful creator, God, spoke creation into existence, then the possibility of miracles within that creation aren't all that illogical. And so you read in places like Luke chapter 1, the angel says to Mary, you're going to have a baby. She says, how can that be? I'm, I'm, I'm a virgin. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you because as the angel concludes in verse 37 of chapter 1, nothing will be impossible with God. You see, Christmas reframes wisdom as the capacity to see that God is at work in our, wor- in our world and in our lives in ways that we expect and also in ways that we may not expect, in ways that are very ordinary, but also in ways that are completely extraordinary, in ways that are natural and also in ways that are supernatural. And true wisdom acknowledges that my reality is not the end of God's possibility. Because, here's the second thing that true wisdom understands, that nothing is sovereign but God. You see, true wisdom acknowledges God's true place, that he and he alone is on the throne. Listen to what Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Notice they did not ask, where is the kid we came to admire? They asked, where is the king we have come to adore and to worship? We've come this far to worship a king. So what kind of king does that look like? One of my favorite passages, I love this passage, and it's a beautiful passage in and of itself, but it's a beautiful passage of the incarnation of Jesus and really the the picture of the gospel and what Jesus has done. It's one of my favorite passages from Philippians chapter 2, and here's what Paul writes, starting in verse 6. Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that passage for so many reasons, but not the least of which is that it speaks to not only the kingship and the lordship of Jesus, but also to the humility of Jesus. When you think he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And yet he humbles himself and becomes a man among men. Flesh. Almighty God taking the form of a little baby. Of flesh. You see, Christmas reframes how we picture who is in charge. And let me tell you, the wisdom of this world is not about to worship a baby. And the wisdom of this world is definitely not about to surrender and bow down to some poor crucified Jew. The wisdom of the world says, let me tell you who's in charge. Let me tell you who runs the world. The powerful run the world. The beautiful run the world. The successful run the world. That's who you better bow down to. That's what you better chase after if you want to have people bow down to you and get the credit that you deserve. That's who runs the world. But Christmas says you're looking at it all wrong. So every time, every year around this time, we sing, it's funny, we sing these songs that we don't sing any other time of the year, and they're beautiful hymns, but um, we, we sing a song that is so revolutionary that I don't, I don't think we actually think about how, how deep the words truly are. We actually just sang it a few moments ago. It's called Joy to the World. And you probably just skipped right over the line that I'm talking about. The first two lines go, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. You know what the next words are? Let earth, what? Receive her king. Think about how amazingly revolutionary that is. Not just in that day and age, but even perhaps more so in our day and age. We, we don't sing, let earth decide if, if, if he is king. Or let earth elect him to, to be king. We sing, let the whole earth recognize her king. Those are truly radical words. And I believe, and I hope you believe, that they are radically true. You see, wisdom wants to recognize the Herods of this world. It always has and it always will. And these Herods tell us to pledge our allegiance with every tweet and every headline and every news conference and every threat that we see. And yet, I'm telling you, Christmas says that all of those things are pretenders. They're all short-lived. All those tyrannies are short-lived. The earth has its king. And it's foolishness not to recognize him and transfer sovereignty to him. That the coming of Jesus, the coming of Almighty God in the flesh has inaugurated a kingdom and it is here right now. Jesus says, my kingdom is here and the wise can see it. And this kingdom is not going to be undermined. This kingdom is not going to be underthrown, overthrown. And so what wisdom sings is, Jesus, you have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forevermore, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. And the n- day is coming when wise and foolish alike are going to bow down and sing that song. And so let me tell you, you are no fool to give your 
unquestioned allegiance to Jesus right now. I know that's not what the world says, but you are no fool. Because the claim of Christmas is not seasonal. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to put up the bows and the trees and the whatever that you have out. Inflatables, maybe you have some of those in your, in your yard. You're going to put all those up. But you don't put up Jesus. Christmas says he is king, always has been, always will be, and he's king in December, he's king in January, he's king in August, he's king every day, 365 a year. The claim of Christmas is not seasonal, but it is, here's the beauty of it, it is universal. It is for everybody, because thirdly, true wisdom understands that everyone is important to God. Christmas gave birth to the most inclusive faith this world has ever seen. Now, it is exclusive in that it is through Jesus Christ, but it is inclusive in that it is for everybody. And you just take a look at the people in that very first Christmas picture. You've got a genealogy filled with some of the greatest sinners in Israel's history. You've got a poor couple, nobodies from a nowhere town that everyone scorned. You have shepherds that most people either overlooked or looked down upon. You've got so-called wise men coming from a faraway land to a place they were unknown and unvalued. Everybody in the picture was considered a nobody by the wisdom of the day. So I don't know if you've heard this story before, but in 1939, retail giant at the time, Montgomery Ward, commissioned one of their uh, um, advertising executives, or not executives, copywriters, to write a little poem for a holiday Christmas coloring book that they were going to have their uh, department store Santa hand out. So Robert May was the one who was commissioned. He wrote this little poem, and uh, it was, it just it blew up. It was incredible what the success that they handed out over two and a half million copies of this. So Robert May, his brother-in-law, um, Johnny Marks decided to then put that to music, that little poem to music, and he hired a guy by the name of Gene Autry. For any of you younger than like 60, you probably have no idea who that is, but uh, maybe I just, sorry if I insulted anybody, but um, Gene Autry uh, sang the song, and it's about a little guy that you probably, some of you are shaking your head, you already know who, uh, who this song is about. It's a little guy named Rudolph. You say, what is it about Rudolph that is so intriguing and pulls us in and and it's you know certainly he's this feisty little guy and you know he's fighting through and but really when you think about it Rudolph is a story of grace Rudolph is overlooked he's turned away he's flawed what's he really good for and yet someone who loved Rudolph invited him in and said your weakness can actually be a strength And everybody wants to live in a story like that. You see, the scandal of redemption is the redemption of scandal. Perhaps the best Christmas verse truly is John 3.16. It may be the best verse, period, but it may be the best Christmas verse. For God so loved the world, the whole world, that he, what, gave his one and only son. That, and here may be one of the most overlooked and yet most beautiful words in all of scripture. Whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. As foolish as it may seem, Christmas pictures a God who cares about everybody, no matter what you've done, 
or where you've been. Christmas says nothing is too hard for God and no one is too far from God. Of course, along with that, another thing Christmas does is it gets us to repicture ourselves and to tell the truth that we're not always who we pretend to be. We're not always who our Christmas pictures and our Christmas letters and our Facebook posts pretend to be. The truth is we are all in need of saving because we are all equally broken. And yet we can all be equally forgiven because we are all offered this incredible invitation to let Jesus be our wisdom. So there was a scientist who won a Nobel Prize in the area of quantum physics, and he was brilliant, and people invited him from all over to give uh, speeches. And so he'd come and, and give a speech, and he would typically have a chauffeur who would drive him around so he could sit in the back of the car and work on his speech or kind of recite it before he would go up. And so this chauffeur, um, he ended up having the same so- chauffeur several times. And finally, the chauffeur said to him, Doc, I think I can give your speech for you. And doctor said, I, there's no way. You cannot pretend to be me. And he said, I've, I've heard it so many times. I bet you I can do it. I can give this speech. And doctor said, I'll take that. I'll take that bet. So they stopped the car, got out of the car. Chauffeur put on the doc's tuxedo. The doc put on the chauffeur's uh, outfit. They went to the event. And at the event, the chauffeur got up there and he delivered the speech, the doctor's speech verbatim. Even more, in fact, even more intensity and passion than what the doctor had given that speech. And he got a rousing standing ovation, and the host was so thrilled. He said, we've got to take advantage of this opportunity. We've got this Nobel Prize winning um, scientist here. We've got to take advantage of his presence. Let's ask some questions. The first question was, doctor, we've always been confused by why the universe is matter and not antimatter. Do you think some of the recent studies in subatomic particle duality shed light on that conversation? Chauffeur took a sip of water. He looked straight at that man. He said, that is the most foolish question I have ever heard. Maybe the dumbest question I've ever heard. In fact, it's so dumb, I'm going to have my chauffeur come up here and answer it for me. You see, we learn early in life to pretend to be wiser than we are. But the reality is we need to look to someone else to be our wisdom. Here's the truth. Wise people look to Jesus. Wise people look to Jesus. He is the word to the truly wise. You see, day after day, we hear message after message trying to get us to buy into the wisdom of this world in terms of who we are and where we came from and what life is all about and what gives us value and what gives us significance and what gives us meaning and what's important. And yet the Christmas story says that is all foolish. Because Jesus is the one who tells you who you are and why you're here and why you matter and what you're to be doing and ultimately where you are going. Because he's not just our savior. He's not just our sovereign. Jesus is smart. And in him, true wisdom is found. And the day will come when those who were foolish enough to trust him will be honored for their wisdom. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. He said, But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, meaning everyone, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
this foolish plan of God, this plan that God would become man and that he'd serve and, and live and give his life ultimately for sinful man so that his righteousness could be transferred to you and I who are sinners. We don't like using that word, but that's what you are. That's what I am outside of Jesus. This foolish plan is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. And that is why wise men and wise women still do whatever it takes to find Jesus and worship him.